So, two of the things that you want to think about as you seek to help. Just help people, whether you're in the student ministry, women's ministry. And so I, I want you to think broader as you do these three weekends. Don't just think in terms of, oh, I may one day be a biblical counselor for my church or someplace. And people fill out paperwork and they're assigned to me and I sit down. You may. I hope maybe you will. But that probably will not be the vast majority of you. So I don't want you to think exclusively like that. Imagine just another woman in the women's ministry that you understand some of the struggles. And you just informally say, I would love to get together with you and listen to how you're struggling and encourage you and help you. But you understand some biblical principles about how to come alongside someone and help. That's why for me, there's not a hard, fast distinction between discipleship and counseling. To me, discipleship is just the main river of the church. As we spend time together, whether your church calls it small groups or ABFs or Sunday school or where you intend to do this, and getting people moving in the general channels of how do we grow and change as believers, well, then you get people that are really stuck occasionally. You know, if the picture is a river with boats moving downstream, their boat's upside down in an eddy. You know, if you know anything about whitewater rafting or canoeing, you know, you're not getting out of that. Not easy, not on your own. There's where counseling comes in, where someone needs more one-on-one focused attention, not for life, not for six years, but to get their boat upright and back towards the normal, regular stream of discipleship in the church. All of us, to one degree or another, should know how to do that with our kids, for ourselves, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our small groups. Oh, how the church would benefit from more Christians that had this mindset. So let me talk to you in this final hour about these two pieces that you need to be good at and understand how to do this. Building involvement, giving hope. Let's talk about building involvement. Listen, to some degree, I hope you understand this, it will be costly to do what I'm hoping you'll do. You will not be able to come alongside someone and spend time with them and and help them and hear them and and listen to them and hold on to them and, and it not cost you. It, it's costly, but it's worth it. It's worth it. That to some degree you do want to get tangled up in their lives. You care. I wake up, whoever I'm counseling, if it's one couple or multiple couples, I kid you not, I think about them. I'm praying for them on the treadmill. I wake up thinking about them. I give extra thought to them. On days of prayer and fasting, I'm praying and fasting for them. It's not this thing like, oh yeah, Tuesdays, 3 o'clock, the so-and-so's, only time I give any thought to it. You care. You care. They're on, and so for some of you, you might say, oh, no thanks. I got enough going on. Well, this ministry that I hope you'll step up to, folks, it is a ministry that will burden you, but it is also a ministry that will give you some of the greatest joys you've ever had as a believer. You'll, get to, you'll have a front row seat to see God work and you'll also experience yes I don't want to lie to you feeling an extra load but it's what he's called us to do right to come alongside each other and bear each other's burden think about the one another's that are in the Bible you know bear each other's burdens encourage each other exhort one another so many one another's and we trust that God will replenish us with what we need as we give ourselves away Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages that captures the kind of ministry that I'm hoping God's people would step up to. It says, brethren, if a man or woman is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual. Now, 
Lest you put yourself outside of that category and say, yes, I can think of five people at my church that are super spiritual. There's this lady, yeah, and there's this man, and he knows his Bible. Let me help you. In the original language, you know what that phrase literally says? You who have the Spirit. Who has the Spirit? Every believer. Every believer. You got the Spirit living in you. You who have the Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And the word restore right there is a word that was used in the Greek. You'll see it translated as mending a net that's been torn. And I love this. You'll see it used in medical terms of holding a broken bone in place long enough for it to start to set. Isn't that a beautiful picture? People are broken. This doesn't happen in a hurry, folks. It is messy. It takes time. And you, by God's grace, you're the one, you know you're not the one that can fix it. But you're his instrument that's willing to be a servant to stand there and be in their lives to help hold it in place long enough for it to mend. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves also, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? Love. Love one another. One of the best ways you love one another is to do this kind of ministry. Love one another. Fulfill the law of Christ. And we don't do it from the moral high ground. You know what I mean? Notice how he says, considering yourselves also, lest you... You don't ever want to be trying to help someone with an, with an attitude of, you're kidding me. I can't believe you've done that. How in the world? Not good. Considering yourselves also, lest you be tempted, bear one another's burdens. You want to establish that kind of a relationship with the individual. That they would know that you truly do care and you build involvement. Again, this doesn't mean that you allow them. We've had to step in with some of our lay counselors and say, oh, no, 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 no. Because we've had like a husband who maybe says, that's it. My wife is doing no more counseling. Her phone rings relentlessly in the middle of every meal, every date, every vacation. She's on the phone with the, no, 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 no. That doesn't happen. I always say to people, your phone is for your convenience. News alert. Did you know you don't have to answer this? I do it all the time. All the time. Ring, 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 ring. Uh, No, that's not happening. Not now. And boom. And otherwise, you're toast, right? So, yes, build involvement. But it's not inappropriate to think, I do still have a husband or a wife and kids and family. These are lay people usually that are doing this. So, you care and you build involvement, it doesn't mean you take them into your home for life. You want them to understand that you can relate to their struggles. You, you want to reveal enough from your, from your own life. You know, I've sat where you're sitting tonight. Now, don't lie if, if you haven't. But what's helpful for me is I have. So it's like when I'm counseling couples, I can say, Oh my goodness, I've sat right where you're sitting as Stuart began to counsel us, I mean, I know. I've been on that side of the desk being given this homework and just thinking, I shouldn't be here. I'm a good guy. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't play golf. She's never had it so good. Why were you even here? Why am I doing this homework, this counseling? So that's helpful. I can say, I know what you're thinking. I know because I've been over there. What, to whatever degree that you can relate, reveal some of that. doesn't mean you waste 30 minutes of their time telling your own story. But if you don't tell enough You would be surprised how many people... Here's one of Satan's favorite lies. He loves to cause people to think you're the only one. 
You are the only one. Nobody else struggles. So if you'll humble yourself and be willing to admit enough that they can realize, oh, wow, okay, you too. You've, you struggle. You've, yes, I've been on that side of the desk. I thought I married the wrong person. I thought there was no hope for our marriage. I mean, those are things that I had thought and said. I bought a book called The Incompatible Couple. Because I said, I have married the wrong person. There is no hope for this. There's no way we're ever going to. I would hear people say, oh, my wife's my best friend. Like, oh, my goodness. That is never. I mean, I want to read. Like, read and pay attention to what I'm reading. And she's reading the reader's side just from the back to the front, saying things out loud. Like, I'm trying to read John Piper on justification. Baby, like, I can't do this. You're talking out loud. I want to be the last one at the party. She wanted to be the first one to go home. I want my music loud, like, like hit you in the chest. There's the bass. Boom, baby. Right? Music is on. She would like it to be, like, in the background, like, well, maybe why don't we just turn it off? Like, just no music. I mean, just, I could go right down the list of I just thought, this is never going to work. And listen to me. We are best, 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 best friends. Yeah. And that, that's so I can say that to them and say, I never thought. Now, I have my music hit me in my chest when she goes shopping. As soon, the kids, it's, it's an ongoing joke. As soon as, like, my, my stereo goes on, boom. It's just like house is rocking. Like, mom just left. Dad's. <laughs> and so, you know, we prefer one another. And I can, even with it doing that, I can hear the garage door go, even in the middle of Journey or Boston, I hear, and I'm like, boom. But here, it's so neat when you do love each other and you're trying to prefer each other. I kid you not, I'm running over towards the bows trying to like, stop it, stop it. She's coming in. I'm slapping at it. She's coming up the stairs saying, not saying, screaming, no, no, you don't have to turn it off. You don't have to turn it off. No, no, I'll turn it off. No, leave it on. No, 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 no. Oh, oh this is so beautiful. Oh, no, really, no. But we're serious. It's like, I know she doesn't want it on. She knows I want it on. And our desire is to prefer the other one. We have a great marriage. And we're still very different. Nothing about that changed. But our hearts changed. I can give them that kind of hope. Build involvement. You build involvement when you demonstrate compassion. You want to demonstrate compassion. Ask God that he would actually put them on your heart in such a way that you're not just, I would love to instruct them. I would love to teach them. I would love to, but you truly care. You hurt for them. I would love, you feel a little bit of what you think they're feeling. Because I know it sounds worn out, but folks, it's so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. This is not a deal of, oh, learn your Bible, learn your Bible, learn your Bible, learn your Bible. And if they sense that you know your Bible, they will listen to you. Not necessarily. If they can't tell that you care, you can, you can stumble around with your Bible a little bit. You can say, turn to 2 Timothy 3. And when you get there, like, uh, not 2 Timothy 3. Is it 4? No, I know it's in here. It's a Bible first. And they'll still listen to you and God could still work and change them if you truly care. And you could be someone that, bam, sticks the landing. Nahum, verse 7, got it every time. I'm using verses you've never even heard of. But if they don't think you care, they don't care how much you know. It's not Bible trivia. It's not 
how much information. Now, don't hear me saying, because I already did the pyramid, right? I want you to know your Bible. But here's where I want you to hear. Even if you don't know it as well as you'd like to know it, if you have a heart that truly cares for people, it's likely God could use you to help. It's not just back up the dump truck of biblical truth. And if a little bit is good, more is even better. I mean, give them Old and New Testament. Reach in and grab some pseudepigrapha and apocrypha. I mean, give them lots. No. No. A little bit of God's word with a broken, compassionate heart is likely to make a much bigger difference. Look at Matthew 9. I mean, we're, we're to look to our Savior. So I'm not making this up. It's not like, well, that, that's how Stuart did it for us. Or that's what I try to do. Never mind Stuart or Brad or anybody else. Jesus, right? Jesus ministered to people and was amazing. We want to do what Jesus did. Look at Matthew 9. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, healing every sickness, every disease among the people. I love this. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. If anybody could have been more like, oh, they make me sick, could have been him. He's, whole, he's perfect totally. There's no place for us to resent people, look down on people, take moral high ground with people. He was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, don't hear me saying this is always automatic, my default setting. It's not. I'm a sinner. So there are times when I actually have somebody that, let's be honest, I don't like. I don't like them. Well, there's one now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, you just, you don't like them. I mean, the more you're here, you just think, she doesn't like you. I don't like you. I know why she's not happy with you. But you can't, you can't say that. You can't say, oh, but you feel it, you know. I remember I had this, this counseling case one time and. She's just going on. This is before we had a building. And they don't go to our church, so don't try to guess who this is. And uh, it's just like the more we spent time together and she's railing against him and, oh, he's just not going anywhere. And da, 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 da. and he would just sit there and just blink. I mean, just, I don't know. I just want to say, man up. Like, bump his chest or something. Like, say something, dude. I mean, hear how she's going off on you? Like, ugh. And then, I mean, it was already hard. And then one night she said, and, he, and, and he, he smells bad, we're having sex, he's not clean, and he chews his toenails. I'm like, that's it. I mean, how do you even get your foot up there to your mouth, dude? I mean, like, what do you have to say to that? Huh? Huh? Say something. Get your foot out of your mouth and say something. It's like, oh. You know, so everything within me was just like, oh, poor thing. Like, mm, but you can't do that. You're like. But you're like. God, there's got to be thou shalt not chew your own toenails verse. Because she's wanting to divorce him. So can you see how hard that... I'm trying to talk her out of divorcing him. And I'm thinking, oh. But you, you can't go there. Compassion. So you pray, right? I mean, you pray. I have prayed so many times. God, change my heart. I, don't ha- I do not feel love for this person. I do not. You're going to have to give it to me. But he says he would. In Romans 5, it says the love of God is spread abroad... In our hearts by his spirit. He's done it for me so many times. I'll say, God, you've got to, you've got to give me love for this person. They cannot sense my, oof. You've got to give me love. And God did break through in that situation uh, incredibly, which was very, very, very God thing. 
The message says, when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. If you, let me put it to you this way. If you just hate sin and love the Bible, you're not ready to be a biblical counselor. You need more. You need compassion. Now, let me speak to some of you that there are certain Christians that are just kind of more, lean more towards that prophetic side. And their go-to most often is just like prophetic, just say it. Just bring down fire. You won't be a good counselor. Just, Just get over that and work on prophet, priest part also. Just this, this, this whole just proclaiming truth. It's true. Did I say anything that's not true? No. But you're not loving. It is not just a truth thing. Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth, finish it, in love. That's not optional. It's not like, oh, just speak truth and amazing things will happen. If you feel like adding love, great. It's not stated that well. Speak the truth in love. Because often, when you don't, they don't even hear it. It's just, it's just deflected when they know, you don't love me. I don't think you love me. I don't think you love me. It's not just show me a problem and I'll show you a Bible verse. <laughs> That's not our poster for biblical counseling. So how are you going to cultivate compassion? Well, consider what it would be like to be in, in your counselee's position. I, let me tell you. If you're not praying for your counselees outside of those sessions, it is unlikely that you'll have the heart of compassion that you need. But if you're praying and you're starting to really feel what they might be feeling and you're crying out to God for them. Listen, I don't just pray in hopes that God will change someone. As I pray for someone, guess who often changes? Me. He begins to give me his heart for them And even some of you that are in our church, let me say something. One of the number one feedbacks, because I know when you hear me preach, I can be kind of... Number one feedback that I get when people sit in for counseling. It just happened again recently. They're like, oh, Pastor Brett. And I don't mean sit in for one session from start to finish. So we have people who have been through the training you've gone through. Once they've done that, they can sit in on sessions, a complete to observe, because we're trying to get them ready to do this. One of the main things I'll hear is, oh, Pastor Brad, you are so kind. I'm always like, what, what would you think? Well, you are kind of not in counseling, folks. Not in counseling. Mm-mm. Love. Kind. Gen- but, oh, please know, that is not Brad Bigney by nature. I don't have the gift of mercy. I don't. Mm. But guess what? God can do that. And I ask him to do that. God. Give me compassion. Think about what it would be like to be in your counselee's position. Philippians 2, 20, 21 says, I have no one else like him. I think he was speaking about, Paul speaking about Epaphroditus. Who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Consider what it would be like for you if the counselee were one of your family members. What if that was your daughter, your son, someone you dearly love? Would you perceive this a little differently? Would you be a little more patient? Would you forbear more? Would you care more? First Thessalonians 2. I've got some passages that I have written in my prayer journal that I pray. And I've prayed them, some of them for over 20 years now. And this is one of them. I love this because I love the Apostle Paul. 
I love his insights, his book of Romans, his, his willingness to suffer, his endurance, his perseverance. But here's something I, I'm amazed by. Apart from Jesus Christ, I want to I wanna spend time with the Apostle Paul and then Martin Luther. Because he was hilarious. And uh, he talks about farting on the devil. So I, he and I are going to have some talks. That is... So, but this right here, that the Apostle Paul had not gotten this leathery, rhinoceros hide. You know, once you've done ministry for a while and you've dealt with people and you've gotten close to people and you've been in messes and guess what else starts to happen? Sometimes you pour your heart out and they don't, get, they don't say thank you. They lash out or they spin away and they slander you because they didn't like what you were saying. And these things happen. I just see Paul keeping this tender heart all the way to the end. Read the letters to the churches. I mean, he's got churches that are doing terrible things, churches that are attacking him, churches that are questioning his authority, churches that are not grateful for how he sacrificed for them, but he doesn't get bitter. Listen to this. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's tender. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased. Oh, listen to this. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel... Or we could say not only biblical principles to help you, but also our own lives. Because you'd become dear to us. You don't need to be willing to say, I'm going to learn my Bible so well that I know how to give away Bible verses. You need to be willing to give away some of you. Every time I meet with somebody, I give away a little bit of me. A little bit of me. A little bit of me. The people that are most dear to me in our church family, guess who most of them are? People that I sat with up close in counseling. I, can't, I actually miss them. Most of them. I miss them. After the time is over. Because they've become dear to me from praying for them. Sitting close to them. Holding on to them. Think about how you can practically show them compassion. Think about ways that you can practically show them compassion. Acts 20, verse 31 says, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. That word warn is nutheteo, and that's where J. Adams, who pioneered biblical counseling, got the word nuthetic counseling. And it simply is taken from two words, noose and tithemi. Noose is mind, and tithemi means to toss or to place. And so it's putting back in their mind, what's God's truth say? You've lost sight of what God's word says. Put it back to mind. What does God's word say? And I walk. But notice, it's not just putting truth to their mind. With tears, Paul cared. Paul cared about people. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children for whom I... Oh, here, here. So we've got a picture in Thessalonians of a nursing mother. And he says, that's how dear you are to me. Now we've got a picture in Galatians of childbirth. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's what it often feels like. I mean, I truly feel like I'm groaning with them. I'm praying. I'm on my knees. I'm saying, God, what should I do next? What should I ask? Where should I turn? Of everything that's come to the surface, what should I go after next? Help them. Help them, God. I I can't do it, but would you do it? You really are laboring with them in birth. The message says, do you know how I feel right now and will, will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in yours like a mother in the pain of 
childbirth. Effective biblical counseling is like childbirth. As we stand by them and groan with them and pray for them until Christ's life becomes more visible in their lives. You know, let me say something else that I hope will encourage you. When you first come into it, there's this heightened sense of, I've got to have answers for everything that comes up. And I've got, I've got to, uh, and I hope you do have some answers and you'll know God's word. But listen to me, folks. One of the greatest things you can do for someone in a culture like ours that is so fast-paced, so busy, so isolated, so selfish, you just giving them this kind of time and sitting with them. And li- many times you don't even have to have answers and you've helped them. Does that make sense? Because you're, you're with them in their pain. Now, I hope you do. God gives you some possible solutions and ways to give hope. But just being, think about Job, right? If you want to talk about counseling, his friends did great for seven days. While they didn't do what? Talk. They were a big help until they opened their mouths. And then it was really bad. So I'm not saying don't say anything. But often, even like, you know, when, when, when there's extreme pain and suffering, in fact, I would tell you, even after you've had some training and you think you have some possible, don't go blazing into hospital rooms and bedsides and tragic moments running your mouth. Even, I hope this doesn't offend you, even with Bible verses. We know Romans eight twenty eight. all things work together for good. Please shut up. Not now. Right? Is it true? Is that the best time to be saying that? No. The best time to teach good biblical truth about the sovereignty of God is prior to crises. Now, always we don't have that opportunity. But, oh my goodness, the power of a hug, the power of presence, and the power of tears when someone knows I think her heart is breaking some with me is so helpful. Our ministry is not just a ministry of words. It's word-oriented because we've got God's word. But folks, the spirit of God lives in us and he groans and suffers with us, Romans 8 says. So it's appropriate that we would do this with people. Don't just think in terms of how fast can I start saying some things. And... So more and more, you've got to say, I need less of Brad Bigney and more of Jesus Christ. I love, the, I love the way John the Baptist talked in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So I want to learn my Bible better, but I also want there to be a greater sense of Jesus, the wonderful counselor, showing up to help them and, and less of me. Show respect for the counselee. Ways that you can be compassionate. Show respect for the counselee. Just because they're in trouble or perhaps have made some bad choices, there's no place for you to disrespect them or look down on them. Always remember, but for the grace of God, that could be you. It's not you just because you're smarter and you're better. And It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Use proper verbal communication as you communicate with them. Show respect in the way that you talk to them. Don't talk down to them. And there have been times, I'll be honest, I remember a guy that came back and, and he rebuked me. And it was true. In a, in a session, and it's not an excuse, but I've known him a long time, like 15 years. And, and so I was just more in a mode of just, just say it. 
you know, we've had this conversation so many times, just, and more than compassion, I was angry. And it was good. He called it on me, called me on it the next week. And I said, you're right. Will you please forgive me? So as the counselor, it's not like, whoa, dude, back off. I'm the counselor. You're the counselor. You're in big trouble. You've been stupid. Don't tell me what I did wrong. <laughs> right? It's like, it doesn't matter what this person's done. The way I responded to him the week before was my sin. Now, in the mercy of God, he continued to let me counsel him, and God broke through and did a good work. But I needed to make that right. Second Timothy, here's how I love to pray for hard situations and where people are stuck, and I just think, I don't know how to help them get unstuck. Oh, I want them to be unstuck. Second Timothy 2, 24 and 25 are two of my favorite verses to pray. I've got those written in my prayer journal. And the Lord's servant, the Lord's biblical counselor, must not quarrel. Don't. Don't quarrel with people. Don't let it turn into verbal jousting. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. That those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, did you see something there? Can they just repent anytime they want? Answer is no, according to that verse. God has to... Right. So you better be praying. I'm, I'm often praying, God, grant them repentance. Give them repentance that they'll truly want to repent. Not just be sitting there and treat it like a Bible study. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is a great place to pray. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. That is one of my favorite. Because guess what? He's giving you three categories of people right there. Everybody you sit with, what's going on in their heart is not exactly like. The behavior could be the same, but as to why this person's doing this, and they're all doing the same thing. But listen, you do not want to have a cookie-cutter approach to counseling. This is always what I say. You want to say, God, who do I have in front of me? Do I have an unruly person? Do I have a, someone who's faint-hearted? See, if someone's unruly, rebuke them. But you start rebuking faint-hearted people, you won't see that to be helpful in their lives. Rebuke the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted. And then sometimes you've got people that are just weak. They're just weak and uninformed. Hold on to the weak and then notice how, what he wraps around all of it. Even if they're unruly, what? Patient with all. That is a great verse to guide us in how we seek to minister to other people. I pray that one. Use proper nonverbal communication. The position, your arms, your legs, how you look at them, whether you look at them. I'll say to people, now, especially in the first sessions, I'm going to be writing a lot because I want to get down what I'm hearing you saying and what's going on. But I'll say now, I apologize. I'm, I'm not going to be looking up as much, but I want to serve you well. So it helps me if I listen well and I get this down. I'm going to be writing a lot. But apart from that, I try to, to give eye contact, to look hopeful. Your body language does matter. Take the counselee seriously. Whatever they're saying, be careful. If someone, for instance, someone says, oh, I'm just a terrible person. Don't say, oh, no, you're not. I mean, also don't say, yes, I agree. <laughs> but it would be appropriate Whatever they're saying, it doesn't matter how much to you, it doesn't make sense. Take them seriously. What you should do is say, really? What makes you say that? 
Why do you say that? There's people who, 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 who think there's no hope and they're talking about taking their life. Or whatever they're saying, don't discount it and so quickly say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't think that way. You've got a beautiful child. You've got a... Don't so quickly take people seriously. That's how you show respect and build involvement. Many times, people are... One of their biggest struggles is they feel like no one is taking me seriously. Listen to them. Ask questions. Why are you saying what you're saying? Why do you feel that? Express appropriate confidence in him or her. Even though they may be in a mess, they need to know that you, you, you got to ask God, listen, you got to ask God, and I have to do this all the time. With, it's the same thing with parenting, right? And in, in a sense, parenting is shepherding and counseling a little flock, right? I've got five. Ooh, I constantly have to ask God, give me eyes to see evidence of grace. Because apart from him helping me, I don't. What I see are just gaps and huge shortfalls, and we have got to work on this. And especially once you hit the teen years and young adults, if you're not careful, you're just kind of, you're just on them about, God, give me eyes to see evidences of grace. With your counselees, listen, change doesn't happen. Bam! It happens in little, it's incremental, it's two steps forward, it's three steps back. If you're not asking God, God, give me eyes to see evidences of grace where I can affirm them and give some comfort. For instance, let me, t- let me give you an example of what I mean, what this sounds like. I start meeting with someone. I want people reading their Bibles because this is life food. This is soul food. You've got to have it. This is not legalism. This is, this is food for your soul. You've got to have it. There's no way you're going to be biblically oriented and have hope without this. So I'm trying to get them to read their Bible. So I'm saying, of course, hey, this week, try to read your Bible five out of the seven days, all right? Doesn't have to be forever, but 10, 15 minutes. And I'm more concerned. I'd, I'd love to see you read it five days than I read my Bible one day for an hour and a half. Okay, great, but there's seven days in a week. So they come back. So how'd it go with the Bible reading? Eyes to the floor, right? Not so good. Okay, what's not so good? Two days. Now, what they're expecting, right? Because this is Pastor Brad. They've heard him in the pulpit. It's like, I thought you wanted help, huh? You, you said you wanted help. I said five days. What's unclear about that, huh? Can you say five? No. That's not what I do, Right? You know what I say? Two weeks ago before we started meeting, what would your answer have been? Well, zero. You're growing and changing. Thank you. He looks up. Chest out. Yeah, he's a winner. Two days. Right? And this is not, I'm not talking about manipulation, but I'm just talking. You've got to recognize where they were and show some confidence and appreciation and evidence of Grace, if you just set the bar here and write out your little homework sheet, and I want you to memorize this first and read this book and read your Bible, and then you meet with them, you're like, dude, what is up? They won't be with you long. Welcome their input. I, I try to say, does that seem doable to you? All right, I know you got a job. I know you got kids. You got ball games and such. Does that seem doable to you? Continually thank them for coming and tell them how well they're doing unless they're not. But, you know, but I often will say, thank you, especially if it's marriage counseling, that I have both of you. Oh, my goodness, this is so much harder when I just have one. Thank you. Thank you that you're both sitting. And right now it's still bad. They're just looking at me like, this is still a win. I've got two people sitting here 
thank you on top of your jobs. Thank you. If they do most of the work, thank you for working hard. Maintain biblical confidentiality. Now, in our church, they fill out paperwork where they know ahead of time. That doesn't mean I'm not going to speak a word of this to anybody else. It, it means you won't be my next sermon illustration from the pulpit without your permission. But if I need to talk to another elder about this, or if I need to go to the police, or if there's someone else that I think should be involved in order to help you, we do. So this is not like, whew. So actually when people say, now I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody else, I'm like, then don't. Then don't. Because I may need to tell someone else in order to help. But I'm not just gossiping and just talking about it to other people. Be sincere. So you want to be compassionate, you want to be sincere. Be real. Someone that just seems like a cardboard, stand-up Christian man or woman with their Bible tucked under their arm, you just want to poke that. And uh, for whatever reason, it may have just been my experience, the churches I grew up in, they were good churches, they were Bible-believing, gospel-oriented churches, but every pastor, I just wanted to just poke him. It's like, are you real? I've never heard you admit a fault. I've never heard you say you got mad. You never tell a story where you blew it. It's like... What is up? I, I find that unhelpful. You know, so you, you strike a balance. It's not like just say everything. But if you don't tell enough to where they know that you are real, they actually, it doesn't cause people to say, I can't follow you. You're a mess. Why should I do anything that you're saying? I find the opposite's true. They think, oh, all right. He struggles. He's real. And yet he's, he's trying to do this and he's telling me to do that. I could follow him or her. How often, this is the picture I have on my desk, and when I talk about our marriage, I'll say, I mean, this is, this is a couple that I was just like, I have married the wrong, I mean, look at that, blissfully happy. We're about to celebrate 30 years of marriage, September 27th, and that's 25 great years of marriage. That's what my wife says. I mean, those first years were really hard, formative Like on the anvil. (laughs) Yeah. But 30 together, by God's grace. Be honest about your skill, qualifications, strengths, weaknesses, goals, agenda. Here's what I mean by this. If you haven't found this out yet, uh, you're probably going to experience it. When you start coming alongside people like this and truly listening and caring, they will start looking to you for all kinds of things because they trust you that you're not qualified to help them with. What I mean by that is, you're not a lawyer. You're not a physician. So don't, don't make the mistake of, I'm counseling them, and they so trust me, now I'm telling them, oh, Juice Plus, do that also. Da, 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 da. Oh, and I'm giving them legal counsel about the. They'll listen to you because it's like, oh, I love her, I love him. Don't cross the line. So they'll start to look to me, and I'll say, I am, I am not a physician. Now, do I have some thoughts? yes. I grind kale and I do, but I don't have to start talking about that. You know, don't push anything other than the gospel. Personally, I've got things I do health-wise outside of the counseling if they want to ask me about that. But don't blur the lines and start counseling them on all kinds of things, especially, listen, medical issues. You are not a doctor. I always just push back and say, ask your doctor about that. Ask your doctor about that. 
get a good physical. If they're on meds, sometimes they'll look into me saying, should I just get off this? Don't ever say to someone, yeah, get off that. <laughs> you don't know the side effects. Or Doctors hate it when you do that. Don't do that. Oh, you don't need to be on that. My sister was on that. Your sister's not this person. That, that's so unwise. You're not a doctor. You're not a lawyer, unless you are a doctor. Maybe some of you, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, and now you're a counselor. You can do it all. And you can sell. You're a realtor. I can sell your home. I can, you know. Great. I'm one simple thing. Whatever you are, be that. And pull back. And don't allow yourself to cross the line. Provide loving, firm control of the session. By that, I hope you know, I mean, I've got a, a somewhat of an agenda based on the homework and things I heard the week before, but hold it loosely. Hold it loosely, and yet, don't let them just run you all around. Because if you're not careful, people are hurting so much, sometimes all they want to do is rehash the latest fight. And, it, okay, it may be a new fight, but it's still just evidence of the same problem. Do we really want to spend 30 minutes... Hearing, let me tell you what he did this week. If it's something new, I'll say, does this shed any new light in any new way on what we're working with? If it doesn't, I don't want to seem uncompassionate, but let's not use our time like that because we want to look for solutions, not just talk about it and chase rabbits all over the place. Gather data thoroughly before giving advice. Oh man, ask questions, ask questions, listen, 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 write, write, write. I've got pages of stuff written down inside of the folders of, of people. And, and it's amazing. As you listen, the more that you will learn. You, you're here. Because listen, can you see their heart? What's the Bible say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the... If you do all the talking, you will not know what's going on in their heart. So be careful. Yes, we're biblical counselors. And you might think, oh, I got things to say. Right now, it's burning in my bosom. Okay, good. Do say some. But man, listen, listen, listen. Because then when you say, it's much more on target and much more helpful. So gather data thoroughly. Give hope. So there's build involvement. Now give some hope. Hope is crucial. Oh, man. And many times they're going to have to ride on your hope. Because I, I was in here some and I heard Stuart mention how, you know, often they wait so long to come in. How long has it been bad? You know, honey, how long has it been bad? How long, how long have we been married? Oh, okay, that's how long it's been bad. Many times they don't have hope. They're so done. They just think it's, it's, there's no hope for this. But we came in anyway just to kind of say, ah, we even did biblical counseling. You're going to have to give hope. Ooh, you're going to have to know how to give hope. Hope. You don't just want to be helpful, folks. You want to be hopeful. These are the two things I'm trying to have for them. I want to be helpful. I want to be hopeful. I want to be helpful. I want to be hopeful. And folks, hope comes from Scripture. Romans 15 talks about encouragement and hope from the Word. The Word. So I've got to stay in God's Scriptures to have hope. And then I want to get them in the Scriptures to have hope. Biblical hope is a sure thing. When we talk about hope from the scriptures, it's not like the way we use the word in our culture. You know, it's not just like, you think the Bengals will make the playoffs this year and not be thugs? Well, I hope so. I mean, that that means nothing, right? Well, I hope so. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of future blessing 
based on the character and promises of God. Biblical hope, when you see that word, it's a, it's a leaning forward, confident expectation of future blessing, not because of my circumstances, not because of you or this other person, based on the character and promises of God. Biblical hope is rooted in Scripture. And so that's why two reasons that I want them in the Scriptures is the Scriptures feed hope and the Scriptures are a means of grace. People cannot do hard things and make changes and see what they're not seeing about themselves without the grace of God. Grace is not just saving grace. Usually if we play a word association game, I say grace, you say amazing. I say when, you say when I got saved. True. But we, have, we don't have enough Christians that understand you need God's grace today. Empowering, enabling grace. It's not just saving grace. It's sanctifying, enabling grace. And God's word gives you grace. Acts 20 Paul said to the Ephesians on the shore there as he hugged them goodbye, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I need them to to have God's grace flowing in their lives so I get them reading the scriptures. I need them to have God's grace in their lives so I get them praying. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. You pray and you get grace. I need, and this surprises some people, and that's why we do it the way we do it here in our church. You can't get biblical counseling here. It's free. Unless you're in a small group. You say, why? Because that's another means of grace. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says that God's people at close range are stewards of the manifold grace of God. So I want to get as much grace going in their lives as possible. We want them in a small group. I want them praying. I want them reading the scripture. I even want them memorizing some scripture. Because when you memorize, you slow down and chew on it. Because Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God dwell richly in your hearts. And it talks about grace. So I want them to get grace. And I want them to get hope. Grace and hope. Grace and hope. Grace and hope. While I walk alongside them to try to give them truth. Romans 15. All through that chapter, you'll see these two things woven together. God's word, hope, and endurance. God's word, hope, and endurance. Because many times what people need is the ability to keep going in a hard situation and not give up. Keep going in a hard situation. How's that going to happen? Biblical hope, God's word. Biblical hope has several benefits. It does not disappoint. That's what the scripture says. And this kind of hope does not disappoint. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This kind of hope changes our grieving. So you're grieving over this trial or this sin or this heartache or this hard thing. But 1 Thessalonians 4 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. So they're, they're sorrowing. Their heart's heavy. They may cry. But we need them to be crying with hope. With hope. And this kind of hope helps through difficult circumstances. One of my favorite passages is in 2 Corinthians 4 that I use a lot. 4, 8 to 10, and 16 to 18. And that's that passage that says, Even though the outer man is perishing, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. 
While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Twice in that passage, Paul's, passage, Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We, you will lose heart if your eyes are fixed on the right here, right now, in the wrong place. You're going to have to help them to see the long view and to see more broadly and bigger. The only way I knew, know to do that is the scriptures. Scriptures. Another great book apart from scripture that I use a lot, Wayne Mack's book, Down But Not Out. Oh, so good. He unpacks passages like that 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I use this often when I have a woman whose husband has flown the coop or, and he's just, I can't even get him to counsel with us. Now I'm, I'm left with half a marriage and basically we can't fix this with just one person. What are we, she's gonna, I'm trying to hold on to her to just persevere and please God and become more like Christ. I've used this so many times. And I've had so many people say to me. Oh my goodness. I keep that right on the end table. Next to my Bible. It's a really good. How to get up when life knocks you down. Because see a lack of hope has some big big negatives. Despair. Psalm 42 talks about. A sick heart. Proverbs 13 talks about. So how do you give hope? I want to be able to give them hope. How are we going to do that? Point people to the promises of God. No better way than to point people to the promises of God. Uh, just two weeks ago, I started a, very, a brand new counseling case. And I always start the same way. I get them to memorize 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that says, There's no trial or temptation that's overtaking you except such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tried beyond what you're able. But with the temptation or trial will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. And then I have them read because this booklet unpacks that verse. So as much as you can with your homework, don't have it going in nine different directions. So like even this, this situation two weeks ago when they came back, she's like, oh, that was so neat. The verse you had us memorize and the booklet we read and then the sermon you had us listen to. I had them listen to the sermon called, But God, when you're overwhelmed. There was a sermon I did about what verse? First, she said, and then I realized, I bet you meant to do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Been doing this a while now. Yep. Booklet, verse, sermon. All right there. I've learned less is more, right? Don't try to do three things. This was a situation that's been bad a long time. I wanted them to hear one thing. There's hope. Here's a verse that says there's hope. This booklet will help you think about that verse. And here's a sermon preaching and unpacking that verse let's just get that as we get going point people to the biblical pictures that god gives that are hopeful like jeremiah 17 5 to 8 it contrasts the dry bush because they're trusting in themselves or man versus the tree planted by living waters that's trusting in god point people to the savior of hope jesus and give a, an appropriate testimony where you can of yourself or maybe someone else's testimony. I'll often pair people up with someone else in our church. I've been here long enough now. That's the, one of the joys of staying 20 years somewhere. I know of other situations and I have permission from other people. There's nothing like having someone sit with somebody else. Because I can't say to a woman, I know what it feels like to have your husband leave you. I don't. I'm not a woman. I haven't had it. I know some other ladies that do. And many times other people, you don't have to be the only person. Reach outside of that kitchen table moment, wherever you're meeting them, or, and involve other people in your church family that you know of who could sit with them and give a testimony of hope. Lamentations is a sad, dark book. 
But oh, there's these little glimmers, these little diamonds thrown in there where it says, therefore I have hope. I call to mind. I call to mind your promises. Therefore I have hope. Label sin as sin. You say, what does that have to do with hope? Listen to me. When you call sin, sin, you're giving hope because Christ died for that. The gospel is powerful enough for that. If we allow it to be a personality, well, that's just kind of who I am. That's just, as soon as you go that direction, there's not much much hope for that. What are we supposed to be doing about that? Label sin as sin. So I don't mean to be mean, but the entire time I meet with someone, if adultery was the case, I don't say, so now when was your affair? I say, so now when did you commit adultery? And you can see them just kind of, are you going to keep saying that? Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that. Because it's what you did. Whatever it is, because folks, when we call it what it is, it is painful. But then there's hope for that. Don't. Our world is so fond of relabeling everything. And by the time we're done, we just think, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about, you know, IED, explosive, dis- intermittent explosive disorder. Well, my, my son has IED. Oh, Wow. What is that? Anger. Bible talks about anger. We can help you. But as soon as you start calling, and the world just calls everything something else, and then you're left saying, oh, what are we supposed to do about that? Be solution-oriented. I kind of already touched on that. Don't just hash over it and hash over it and hash over it. Try to move towards solutions. And minister the word. Don't just dispense it. By that, I mean, don't just throw out a bunch of Bible verses. It would be better to use a one or a few and really walk them through it and unpack it. To minister the word is to unpack the verse and apply it to their life situation. I've got ways that I love to do this with 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I show these four lies that I think are most prevalent from our enemy and the four promises of God that I see in that one verse. That helps them. Most Christians have heard that verse before, but you slow it down and really help them to get it. Same way with the house built on the rock and house built on the sand. Tell approximately how long you expect to counsel. That can give them hope. Often I'll talk in terms of seasons. So here we are, school is starting. And I might say something like, imagine come Easter. Spring, flowers, having a very different marriage than you do tonight. Relating to each other very... I try to put it in terms of calendar and seasons. Build involvement. Give hope. Be willing to give your heart away, God will give you grace. God will sustain you. And guess what? It'll make you more like Christ in the process. 